0: When I was uh, a college pastor, there's this one time that I was speaking in front of the group, but they weren't paying any attention, which was fairly normal for them, but they really weren't paying attention this time. And they kept looking down at something, and I couldn't figure out what it was. Finally, in the middle of my talk, when I'm speaking, one of the students jumps up and he shouts out, Dudley bingo, I win. I'm like, what? So turns out my staff... Without me knowing it, it handed out a card to all the students that said Dudley Bingo on it. Only instead of numbers, there were phrases that I say a lot during sermons. In all the little boxes. Things like, and that's good news, or here's the deal, or I have a friend who... (laughs) Recognize that last one, don't you? And they marked them off as I said them and, uh, you know, the first person to get bingo, Dudley bingo, won. It was at that point that I realized I had absolutely no control over my staff. I'm just (laughs) running amok, you know. I want to ask you a question. Do you ever feel like you're out of control of something? Life, kids, job, spouse, money, health, whatever. It is not a pleasant feeling because we human beings love to be in control, right? I mean, just watch how people bowl. I don't know about you, but have you ever done one of these where you throw the ball and then you kind of start doing this, right? To kind of, that's a metaphor for my life. If I could just control everything, then I'd be happy. We want to control our money, only spend it the ways that we want to spend it. We want to control our careers, either through workaholism or buttering up the boss or whatever it is. We try to control other people a lot, either through intimidation or trying to emotionally manipulate them in some way. Last year, I told men's fraternity about a man who does not go to this church, uh, who was married with kids, but he had a mom who was kind of always interfering. And so he wrote her a very respectful letter saying, you know, I love you, I want you to be a part of my life, mom, but, you know, we need a little bit of space. Also, try to understand. Well, this is what she wrote back. Dear son, maybe there is no legal means for you to get rid of me as your mother, but I can make it easier for you to be free of me emotionally. I hereby grant you permission to forget that I exist. And just in case you occasionally feel burdened by the fact that I actually do exist, just forget me, I'll be fine. It's not easy to say goodbye, but you have left me no choice. With all the love in my heart, your ex-mother. P.S. Now I know how Jesus felt. Okay, A little controlling, don't you think, right? We love to control. We try to even control God, right? God do this, God do that. Heal me, fix me, help me, bless me. Or we convince ourselves that what we wanna do is what God wants us to do. And we conv- play a little game to convince ourselves. The writer Ken Davis talks about a time when he was driving down the road and he saw a bakery and he kind of wanted a donut. So he said, okay, Lord, if there's a parking space when I drive by, I'll know it's okay to go in and get a donut. And sure enough, his fifth time around the block, there was a space. <laughs> I have had dozens of people look me straight in the eye and say, God told me to leave my spouse for this other person. And I always say, no, he didn't. Because that is not in the Bible. We want to be in control, even of God himself. That's what's so amazing to me about the story that Candy just read. Because in it, David completely surrenders control to God and the result is that David is free from the anxiety free from the stress free from the broken relationships that our control freakiness often causes and he sees God's power to deliver him now the background on this story is that a man named Saul is king but he goes bad as kings are wont to do so God decides to replace him with David Saul doesn't like that, so he tries to kill David. He throws a spear at him at one point and launches armies against him. And in this story, David happens upon Saul while he's sleeping. And everyone says, David, this is it. This is what God has promised you. He's delivered your enemy into your hands. This is God's promise. Kill him. And David says, no. I will not take matters into my own hands. It is not right to kill the Lord's anointed." Now, it would have been so easy at this point for David to rationalize killing Saul. Right? I mean, after all, Saul was trying to kill him. And God wanted David to be king, so David would just be doing God's will, right? But David says, no, I will not manipulate, control, or force anything. I will wait for God to do what God has promised. He surrenders control. And that's what we're talking about this fall, this power paradox that when we surrender everything we have to Jesus... Life gets bigger, richer, deeper, better, and we experience his power. And the thing that we have to surrender in a word is control. which, Which is hard to do because we like to be in control. How many of you, when you are in the passenger side of a car, ever find yourself hitting that invisible brake pedal that all cars come equipped with, right? Control. We want to control everything. But the reality is we're not in control really, are we? I mean, as you read the financial news lately, do you feel in control? I don't. One storm, one disease or illness, one unexpected event shows us really just how little we control after all. And all of our efforts to be in control usually just make us miserable. If we try to control other people, we'll end up with a string of broken relationships and we'll be lonely. If we try to control our jobs too much and overwork and and get stressed out, then we live with all that stress and, and we wreck friends and family. The more we control our money, the more anxious we get about it. Trying to control the uncontrollable just leads to fear, anger, stress, loneliness. But when we surrender control to Jesus, who intends good things for us, we have rest, peace, and joy. I was coming home from a trip a while back and I, had, I was one on, one on one of those airlines where I didn't have assigned seating. You know, if you want to see the ugly underbelly of humanity, right? <laughs> planes without assigned seats, right? it was really dark. So I rushed to the airport, got in the shortest line only to discover that paradoxically it was also the slowest line, I don't know how that works, got to the gate, tried to muscle my way up as close to the front as I could. All of that effort I still ended up with a middle seat anyway only to discover, you know what, that there are worse things in life than a middle seat. There wasn't that bad. And I was flying home in my middle seat. I started thinking, this is a metaphor for how I live life. I spent an hour and a half all stressed out trying to control what ultimately isn't controllable, whereas if I just relaxed, I could have enjoyed the time. Surrendering control brings peace and joy, plus we get to see the power of God. And David's story tells us a couple things about how we can surrender control. And the first is this. The first is to do things God's way, not our way. As I just said, it would have been very easy for David to rationalize killing Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. But David understood that the ends do not justify the means. Even when the goal is, that we're striving for is good, like being king. Even if it's a good goal, if we are trying to get there in, in our own way, in our own time, it is not a good thing. Even when the goal is noble, like trying to do the best at my career or provide for my family financially or even doing ministry. If we neglect our families along the way or manipulate others or ignore God and ignore God's laws, it always ends in a mess. It's not a good thing, even if the goal is good. If David had killed Saul, it would have started a whole civil war. Instead, David waited, and eventually Saul killed himself in battle, and David wasn't blamed. Surrendering control means doing things God's way, not our way. Second thing we learn from this story is that surrendering control means we're guided by the Holy Spirit daily. One of the questions that comes up when I preach a sermon like this is, well, okay, if we're supposed to surrender control, does that mean that we just sort of sit around and do nothing and wait for God to just dump blessings in our lap? You know, what's our role? Our role is to keep moving forward in life, going in the direction God is calling us as best as we can, and let the Holy Spirit steer us through all the ordinary parts of life daily. And he will get us where we need to be. David didn't just sit around and do nothing, right? He defeated Goliath. He got married. He had some kids. He made some friends. And in all of that, God was using those daily life experiences to teach him character and integrity and strength leadership, all things he was going to need to be a king. Time wasn't wasted. Our job is to keep moving forward in the daily things of life and daily surrender, even the little things to God. Now sometimes one of the things God asks us to do is wait. But waiting is never passive. David here has to wait, but he's not passive. He's active. He's, he's doing all the stuff of life and letting the Holy Spirit guide him and teach him along the way. Now, how do we hear the Holy Spirit talk to us? How do we hear the Holy Spirit guide us? Great question. I'm not going to answer it today. I'm going to answer very practically how we do that in a couple of weeks. So you'll have to come back for the sequel. But one way we can be guided by by the Holy Spirit is through Scripture. David didn't need a voice in the sky to tell him he shouldn't kill the king. It was in the Bible. It wasn't rocket science. The Spirit also guides us through prayer. Spirit guides us through the advice and counsel of other people. One of our elders said to me this week, if I don't listen to my wife, I always feel like I'm not doing things God's way, right? Spouses, friends can help us see God. A woman in our church told me a story this week about when her daughter was five years old, she wanted a dog, but this woman didn't really want to take care of a dog. Plus, she was kind of afraid of dogs, but she surrendered control, even in this kind of ordinary thing, and she said to her daughter, well, let's pray about it and see where God takes us. Well, a few months later, this woman started to notice that whenever she was at a friend's house, she had started to pet their dogs. And then after a little while after that, she noticed that as she would pet them, she sometimes started to talk to the dogs. And she thought, what's wrong? I'm talking to dogs. And then she remembered the prayer. And so they got a dog. And she said to me, you know what, it's weird, but God totally changed me through a dog. The ordinary, everyday, normal stuff of life, it wasn't a big deal. But she didn't sit around and do nothing. She surrendered the whole dog thing to God and God guided her and she gave her daughter a great lesson in trusting God. To surrender control means letting the Spirit guide us in the everyday stuff of life daily. The third thing that this story teaches us about how to surrender control is we need to be willing to do what doesn't make sense, what seems not to make sense at the time. Your good common sense told David to kill Saul. I mean, it was just common sense, right? But, but David knew that God sometimes calls us to do things that don't always make sense, at least at first. And this is so hard for us, I think, as Americans. We are very good at making our pro list and our con list when we're making a decision and thinking about these things rationally. But you know what? Sometimes God calls us to go beyond the borders of a pros and cons list and do something out of the box that may not make sense at first. A couple of weeks ago, our youth pastor, Greg Milliken, told you all a story about how he, was, at one, one time he was in Africa and he felt God ask him to pray for a blind man to heal the, the blind man. And he told you how at first he resisted because it, it didn't make much sense, but finally he did it. And while the blind man wasn't healed, that man's friend who, ha, who had two eyes that didn't work together, that man was healed. Okay, Greg had to take a risk to do something that didn't seem to make sense at first. And he could, have, he could have ended up looking like a fool, and it was a very uncomfortable thing he had to do, which is why I'm glad God asked Greg to do it and not me. It's what associate pastors are for, right, Candy? Is it Scott? I don't want to do this. But you know what? Here's the deal. Greg got to see a miracle. I didn't. To surrender control means we are willing to do things that don't seem to make sense at the time, and we'll see God's power. Finally, the last thing this tells us about how to surrender control to God is to expect God's greater reward even when things are hard. You know, the devil really only has one lie and every other lie is just a variation on this theme. The one lie the devil has is the only one he's got. God is not good. God is not good. It's the lie he told Adam and Eve in the garden. You better eat that fruit because God's holding out on you. God's not good. He doesn't love you. You better take things into your own hands. But in this passage, David says, Nope, the Lord rewards every man for his faithfulness. So may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. In other words, David is saying, I can surrender control because I am not surrendering into the hands of a God that doesn't care. I am surrendering myself to the one who made me and who loves me beyond all I can ask or even imagine. And he has my best interests at heart. And even if it's hard for a while, and for David, his life was hard, Saul continued to pursue him. His life was in danger. He lived like a refugee. Life was hard for David for a long time. But David trusts that God is good, and when he surrenders control to God, even if it's hard for a while, some way, somehow, some time, God will bring him good things. But here's the key. It's God's way, God's how, and God's time, not ours. You know, the danger in how I've presented these sermons so far is That it it could sound like what I'm saying is, well, just surrender control to God, and then then God will give you all this power to go and do what you want to do and get what you want. But that's not really surrender, is it? That's still trying to manipulate and control God. Real surrender is when we say to Jesus, you take it all, Jesus, and even if the times are hard, I will trust you that some way, somehow, sometime, you will bring me good things. But it's your way, your how, your time, God, not mine. That's true surrender. And in time, God will give us good things, even if it's not what we want to expect. All right, so how does this work in real life? Let me give you an example. I have a friend who... So, some people... took some of you a while. Uh, I, some people have asked me, well, just, I mean, how many friends do you have after all? I really, I only have one friend, but he's had an amazing life. I have a friend who was vice president of a large company in Silicon Valley. He made a lot of money, but he hated his job. He worked 80 hours a week. He was always having to do ethically shady things like lie about what the company's real earnings were. And when he complained about it, his boss said, everyone does it, don't worry about it. Plus, he spent most of his day trying to bully people into doing what he wanted them to do. And then he'd come home to a family that didn't know him and numb out the pain with a couple of drinks. Well, finally, he started to pray to Jesus and said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I surrender. You take control. You just show me what to do every day, Lord, and I'll do it. Well, the first thing he knew he had to do was stop cutting ethical corners. So he refused to lie, which really made his boss angry. And from then on, his job even got harder because the boss had it out for him. But it made him feel better about himself. And he was a great role model to the people around him in that company to be more ethical. For the next three years... He kept thinking about quitting, but something, it never felt right. There was some kind of block there. And then one day he was walking to his office, and the way he describes it, the Holy Spirit tackled him. Just out of the blue, he felt this intense sense of God's presence. And his body even got hot. He started to sweat, and he said, Lord, is that you? Are you back? And he had this thought in his head, I never left. You did. Well, for the next month, he said he'd he'd had the closest connection with God he'd ever had. He said every day was like being in God's throne room. So he said, and then he sort of felt in all this that God was, was saying to him, it's time to quit your job. I want you to quit your job. But that didn't make any sense because he didn't have another one lined up. So he said, "If God, if that's you, confirm it. Well, a few days later, his boss walked into his office and said that their plant in Texas had messed up an order, so you're fired. And my friend said, I don't oversee that plant. It's not mine. The boss said, you're fired anyway. <clears throat> and then the HR person said, no, you're not fired, and then it all got messy, and, What emerged out of that was, it turns out the boss had been undermining my friend for a long time and trying to frame him. Well, my friend said that's good enough reason to quit, so he did. Took that as confirmation. Spent the next three months reconnecting with his family, getting rid of the alcohol, and building homes for Habitat for Humanity. Then he got a new job running an RV dealership that was an hour and a half commute each way. And when he told me that part of the story, I winced. And he said, no, no, this is the best part of the story. And I thought, you're a freak. That doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> and he said, I've got the Bible on tape. I pray. It's, it's kind of a Sabbath every day for me. I love it. Jesus has never been more real to me. Plus, I'm home at 6.30 every night, way better than the old job. Even though the new job was less prestigious than the one he had, and it paid way less, he liked it better. He liked being able to run a company with Christian values. He liked the people that he worked with. His marriage got better because he was home more. I saw him shortly after he got the new job and he had an expression on his face that I'd never seen there before. It's called a smile. And even their house felt different. It used to be you'd walk in the house and it just felt dark and oppressive and heavy. Now it felt light and joyful. When he was trying to control everything, get ahead, even if it meant cutting ethical corners or hurting his family, his life was miserable. But when he finally said, okay, Jesus, you take control and did things God's way, not his, and was guided by the Holy Spirit daily, was willing to do things that didn't seem to make sense at the time, like quit your job when you don't have another one. And when he trusted that God was good in spite of how hard the circumstances got, His life got bigger, richer, deeper, better. But not in the ways he expected. It was God's way, God's how, God's time. And it was good. Even though it wasn't what he thought he wanted. And in those three years that he remained at that company, when things were so hard, God used that to develop in him integrity and perseverance and used him as a role model for other people in that company. So here's the question. Where are you trying to control things that are not yours to control? Health, job, another person, project, money. How can you hand control over to Jesus? Trusting that some way, somehow, sometime, God will prove himself good and you will reap his greater reward. A <clears throat> good friend of mine got to meet Warren Buffett at a seminar at Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway. As you know, Buffett started that company, got rich from it, My friend owns one share of the company, and he just happened to sit down next to Warren Buffett at this seminar. My friend's kind of a joker, so he said to Buffett, hey, I'm one of your shareholders. I have one share of your company. And Buffett leaned over and said, really? Well, don't tell the other people here, but between you and me, we can control this company. Right? Here's the deal. Between Jesus and us, did someone just say bingo? (laughs) Here's the truth. (laughs) Between Jesus and us, we, we can handle anything, but let's not forget who's really in control and who owns the largest shares. And surrender control to him, knowing in faith, some way, somehow, sometime, he will prove himself good. So here's my pastoral prayer for all of us. May all of your expectations be frustrated. May all your plans be thwarted. May all your desires be withered into nothingness so that you can experience the surrender of a child and rest in the Father's love for you and see that he is good. Amen.